Welcome to Reveal Truth, the audio outreach ministry of Moores Creek Baptist Church. I am Pastor Roger Barnes, and I invite you now to join me as we open the Bible, God's Revealed Truth. If you would take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke this morning. Gospel of Luke, we'll be looking in chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke, a part of the Christmas story. As we look at this season of Advent of Christmas, I hope you're reflecting as we go through the Advent candle about the different things that came with Jesus into our hearts at His birth, that peace between us and God, not between us and man, but between us and God, that, that hope, that hope of life eternal with Him in heaven, that joy that should come from knowing that your Savior has been born. And this morning we're going to take part of the story of Christmas and dive into it together. So if you'll stand with me in the reading of the, in the honor of the reading of God's word this morning to Luke chapter 2. And let's look over at verse number 25. And let's read together this, this word of God about the birth of his precious son Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2, 25 it says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Lord, now... You are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all people. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Father, this morning we have worshipped through our fellowship, through our Sunday school time, through the singing of precious hymns of truth, through the proclamation of your word, through song, through our time together as we lit the candle of joy in the Advent wreath. And now, Father, we focus our attention solely upon you through your spoken word. We search out in your written word that which you would speak to our hearts through me, your lowly servant. So this morning I ask this of you. Make very little of me, very much of you. And may we see you for our Savior today. This we pray in the name of your precious Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, and you may be seated. Luke is a very interesting gospel. If you've never had the opportunity to read through Luke, Luke is a man after my own heart. Luke is a man after my own heart in the way that he gives the truth of the word is the truth and the truth only and not much fluff with it. He doesn't explain many things. He takes great truth and prints it in very few verses. He takes for granted the fact that you would know other parts of the Bible and have studied it, and he doesn't take the time or the page to explain things to you in most cases. 
Luke approaches, approaches things very legalistically as far as from the legal standpoint, not legalistic as far as religion. I really love the way he does it because he takes truth that you must know because you know the word to understand what he's writing to you in his gospel. He keeps you from being a lazy Christian. He makes you look at other places in the Word to understand what it is that he's writing. And we run across the story just like that this morning. For you see, Luke gives us birth of Jesus a kind of a legal twist. What do I mean by that? He knew that the, in the validity of law in a court situation, or to find out what the truth of something was, that it was prescribed in the law and it was given custom of the time that anytime you wanted to make a point that there was a problem you had with a person in court or you wanted to bring up a truth and make it be known, you did that at the testimony of two or three witnesses. You've heard this. You've seen it in Scripture. They had it, even Jesus on, uh, on trial. They were trying to come up with these witnesses to witness against him. And, and Luke knew that the standard of the time was, if I want to present a truth to you, I must also present with that witnesses to say that this is true. And he does just that with the birth of Jesus. It's amazing. He gives three actual witnesses of this birth of Jesus to add credibility to it. The very first one that he gives is in Luke 2, uh, 21 through 24, and that is the testimony of his parents. When you look at the testimony of what Joseph and Mary said about Jesus and the belief that they had and what was said to them by the angel, it gives this testimony of truth from the parents. He also, in the section that we just looked in there in 25 through 35, he gives a testimony of this person named Simeon that we know very little about, but we're going to learn a lot about in just a few verses here in a few minutes. He wraps up that testimony section with this testimony of a lady named Anna. And you'll see that right after the passage we were in, in 36 through the 38 of chapter 2. And it's this, this lady named Anna. And he uses these three groups, or three people, so to speak, grouping Mary and Joseph together, to give testimony of something. Last week we looked at why we should believe in the virgin birth. This week we're going to look at why we should believe in the Savior's birth. Why should we believe in the Savior's birth? The very first thing I think that we can come to understand about why we can believe in the Savior's birth is the testimony of the promise that was given to Simeon. This promise we find in these first few verses in 25 and following. See in verse 25 it says this, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Do you know how often we see Simeon mentioned in Scripture? I just read it to you. That's it. This is the only place he shows up. So to take a testimony of a person we don't know anything about is slightly foolish now, isn't it? Well, you see, when Luke was inspired to write this, he put enough information in this first section to help us trust in Simeon's testimony. For he doesn't stop there when he says this man from Jerusalem whose name is Simeon, but he puts him uh, a, a comma in and he adds a statement. And this man was just and devout. Just and about. What does it mean to be just? See, it adds credibility to his testimony, but, but what exactly does it mean to be just? In some of your translations, some of the newer translations, use the word righteous. Righteous. It speaks to the person standing with the Almighty God. If you remember, I've, as we were preaching through uh, the first part of Ephesians, we covered several um, legalistic words, several words that were used in, in religion, and one of those words was justified. You remember? Do you remember what I told you justified could be remembered as? How to remember what that was? Just as if I'd never sinned. 
Very good. So he was just. He was justified. He was righteous. See, both of those words speak of his right standing with God. So to believe his testimony, all we have to believe is in his right standing with God. For he was just before God. And to be just before God is just enough for me, if you know what I'm saying. So they both speak of his right standing. The fact that he was just as he had never sinned. He was righteous and just before God. And we could see Simon uh, or Simeon here and we could see that God saw him as if he had never sinned. See, he sees you as if you'd never sinned if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I find it interesting that the person that's going to give a testimony about the birth of the Savior, we start off learning about him to find out he was just. He was righteous. But it also says he was devout. Now, what does it mean to be devout? This is one that can get kind of, kind of tossed around in our day and time and in some cases, we don't really like to use the word devout about people. Um, but to say he was devout, it's actually this Greek word that, that means careful or circumspect. Now, we don't use it that way today. We don't understand it to be that way. We say a person is a devout Jew or he's a devout whatever. And we kind of put this label of devout on him as, as making him this religious person. And we most of the time use it in a condescending manner. In other words, being more religious for man's way than God's way. In other words, we say a person's devout, and we look at this system that they put in place, like to be a devout Catholic, so to speak, means that you attend uh, Mass, that you, that you go and, and uh, sit in a booth next to the priest and confess your sins, that you do the Hail Marys, this devout, this religious step process through. We, we talk about being devout in a religion that way, but that's not what Simeon is saying about, uh, or uh, God said about Simeon at all here. What God said about Simeon was that he was just, he was righteous before him, but that he was very circumspect or very careful. Very circumspect or careful in what? It's in his study of the word. How do we know that? See, because if you look at Simeon, we don't get much information, but you can kind of read between the lines because it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. This wasn't something he'd have read in a newspaper. This was something he'd have read in the scrolls or for us, the Old Testament. This is something he would have pulled out of the writings of great men of God from years past. You see, Simeon was very careful with the Word of God. He was very careful to make that Word part of his life. So careful that when God looked at him, he saw him as devout, careful with his Word ask you when God looks at you in relation to his word today is the word devout what comes to his mind or is it devoid <laughs> for most of us Christians the reason we don't know the word of God as well as we should know the word of God is because you wait for me to explain the word of God to you on Sunday for many folks they never open their Bible between the time they open it when I have you stand here and the time we join together the next Sunday that's an affront to a holy God you see, because when God wanted to tell us in short, a short sentence about this man, Simeon, he said two things about him. He was right with him, as we know through the blood of Jesus Christ, and he was a careful handler of God's word. See, his testimony can be trusted because Simeon took God's word at face value. When he read it, he believed it, and he applied it to his life. 
And you see it says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What is this consolation of Israel? We don't use big words like consolation and those sorts of things anymore. Matter of fact, most people when they read it, they think of constellation. They start thinking of stars in the sky. But what does consolation mean? If you break it down, that word has one in it that we do use quite often. And it's the word console. The word console is in it. So you could replace this word consolation with the word comfort. He was waiting for this comfort of Israel. Where does he get this comfort of Israel idea? This is not something we read very often in the New Testament. It's not something that we pull out, we think about. How did he know about this this comfort for Israel? Look back with me to to the book of Isaiah. If you've got your bulletin handy, you may want to stick it in that book of Isaiah this morning because we're going to spend some time between there and the passage that we're in right now over in Luke. But Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 would have been a a prophecy from old from the great Isaiah that all of the good Jews, especially those devout that carefully handled the word of God and understood his prophecies well, would have known this book of Isaiah. There's more prophecies in the book of Isaiah about the coming Christ and his work on this earth than anywhere else in the word. And it's just amazing what Isaiah says. And he starts off chapter 40 and verse 1 and he says this, Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For he, she has received from the Lord's hand double for sins. See, here's what Simeon knew from the prophecy of Isaiah that God himself was calling out for the comfort of his people. You know, it's interesting because most of the Jews and most of Israel, and even today, there's very few that, that believe that the Messiah has come. Most are still looking for the Messiah. And why is that? Because they're not looking for a personal Messiah. They're looking for a Messiah for the nation of Israel. This comfort that's going to come and fix this nation of Israel. And they don't realize that the Messiah has already come that fixes them individually. And by fixing them individually, he puts that nation back together. And see, this comfort that Simeon was looking for, he had been looking for for some time. Do we know how long? No. It doesn't tell us in the Word when Isaiah come to understand at all that there was this Messiah coming. Matter of fact, it doesn't even come to tell us when this particular promise we're going to look at in a few minutes was given to him. But we can assume by looking at his life there in these very few verses and the way God spoke about his devoutness and his justified nature before him that he had been a, a believer in the true God for some time even though he was part of that nation of Israel, even though he was a Jew. He understood that there would be this comfort that would come and it would be for him personally. So he sat and he waited for this consolation of Israel. How do we know that he believed in a personal Savior? How do we know that he understood that there was this trinity of a Godhead? And it tells us in the very next part of Luke chapter 2 there. It says that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And it says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. See, Simeon had come to know God in such a fashion that this Holy Spirit had moved in his heart and in his life. And it was through that moving of the Holy Spirit that he had become justified. And it was through that moving of the Holy Spirit that he now was devout or a careful handler of the word. 
See, there's an interesting statement in that that we'll talk about at some other time, but you think about how God works in your life. He works through the Holy Spirit to stir your heart, to bring you to an understanding there's sin in your life that separates you from a holy God. There's this factor, there's no longer peace, there's this separation. The Holy Spirit works into your heart to draw you to a God who loves you so much He hung His Son upon a cross to die for your sins. And He comes to give you the faith to believe in that death upon the cross washed your sins away personally. And you come to believe in Him through the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. You also believe that He was placed in a tomb dead. And three days later, that tomb was found empty. And Christ was found to be alive. And that living Christ right now is at the right hand of the Father, waiting for the day that the Father says, Go get my children. And He steps forth on a cloud and calls us home. You see, that Holy Spirit works miraculously in your life to bring about salvation. But that's not all that He does. The Holy Spirit works in your heart to help you understand the Word of God so you can apply that Word of God in your heart so you can be found as a devout, justified Christian before a holy God. And see, Simeon had this Holy Spirit that had come upon him. And I love that picture. You know what that picture shows me? The same picture as Jesus came up out of the water, out of the river. And what a lit upon him, the Holy Spirit. In the form of a dove. God said, this is my precious son. This is my son and the Holy Spirit lit upon him. And it says that Holy Spirit that lit upon Jesus there that showed proof positive he had done what God had asked of him. And that he had come from heaven to be a savior. He had come and been baptized to lead the way. That Holy Spirit that alighted upon him to say, this is my precious son had lit upon this man named Simeon. That same Holy Spirit lights upon your heart when you come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That would have been a great place for an amen. That would have been a great place to recognize what that third candle meant, which is joy in the salvation of the Lord. See, because if you understand how salvation really works, it's more than this just thing that happens in your life. It's this almighty God that works through the second part of the Trinity through the Holy Spirit to make evident in your life your need for the third part of the Trinity, His precious Son. And you see that Holy Spirit had fell upon Simeon. It had fallen upon him and made a difference in his life. Matter of fact, it made such a difference in his life, it says in verse 26, that it had revealed to him by this Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. You see, this Holy Spirit that had worked in his heart to the point of justification was now working in his heart to the point of sanctification. He had justified him and made him right before God, and I was working in his life to sanctify him, to bring him closer and closer to holiness each and every day. And he had told him he had such a relationship with God that God spoke to him and said, You will not die until you physically lay eyes on your Savior. That gives me goosebumps. Wouldn't you love to have God speak to you and say, you will not taste death until you see your Savior's return? Wouldn't you love to know that you would lay eyes on Jesus when he stepped out of glory to get you? Simeon had been given the truth, the promise that he would never die. Until he saw Jesus. I find that interesting. Can't you see his wife sitting at the kitchen table saying, You ought not eat that extra piece of bacon. That's going to kill you. He said, I'm not going anywhere until Jesus comes. 
He probably drove 100 mile an hour in his chariot everywhere he went. But really, in his mind, he knew that God was going to show him something special. He had such a relationship with God that the Holy Spirit said, you will not die before you see this Lord's Christ. I find it interesting that he used the words Lord's Christ. I don't really think you see that anywhere else in Scripture. It's actually two Hebrew words thrown together there. It's kurios Christos. Kurios Christos. And if you actually translated that literally from the Greek into the English, it stands for Supreme Messiah. Supreme Messiah. It's a baby in a manger. But his title? Supreme Messiah. It's not just good enough that he's the Messiah. He is the supreme above all others. The supreme Messiah. See, God told him that he would not die before he saw this supreme Messiah. This Messiah that he had read about, this Messiah that he had believed in, this Messiah that he awaited. You could almost see him every day heading into the temple, thinking in the back of his head, could this be the day? Could this be the day? Let me ask you, church, do you get up every morning saying, could this be the day? Would it make a difference in what you do today? If you thought Jesus could come back at any moment, would it make a difference in your life if you believed that this could be the day that Jesus shows up? You see, he lived each day with the anticipation that today could be the day. And it says in verse 27, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. So we see this Spirit that had, had justified him, was working on sanctifying this God that had made this promise. He wouldn't die before he saw the eyes, looked into the eyes of the Savior. So he strolls into the temple this day. It says, and he does it under the leadership and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Are you starting to see a theme in Simeon's life? Are you seeing any type of theme at all? Everything apparently he does is led and guided by the Holy Spirit. I think that's a major point for us to look at in our life. We struggle to make decisions. We try to decide what's best in life. And some are small decisions. Some are great decisions. Some are decisions that have consequences. Some are decisions we think have no consequences. But you know the one thing that we hardly ever do on an hourly or a daily basis about decisions in our life? is stop and listen to that still, small voice called the Holy Spirit in our life. You see, Simeon was just going to the temple. He probably went every day. It wasn't anything new. It wasn't like he was going way far off to a new place. He was just going to the temple, just like you do every Sunday morning when you come to church. You're just going to church. But you know what was different for Simeon? He came with an expectation of laying eyes on a Savior because the Holy Spirit was working in his heart, growing him to be more holy, more like Christ. If we approached God's house as Simeon approached the temple every Sunday, seeking the eyes of our Savior to look into his face, to hold him in his ar our arms as we see Simeon does in a few minutes, if we approached the house of God led by the Holy Spirit, our worship would look very different. Would look very different. 
And you see this Simeon character we're reading about, it says that the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and he led him at this appropriate time to this appropriate place that he called the temple. And it said God completely orchestrated this, as we notice, because it says the Holy Spirit led him. Well, what's important about the fact that he orchestrated it? Because it says that it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple and... When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. If you hook those two things together, you can see that Simeon was led by the Holy Spirit into the temple. And lo and behold, Joseph and Mary were led to the temple by that same Holy Spirit at that same time. And here we have this divine appointment. You see, many of you come in here on Sunday morning thinking it's your choice to come to church and sit and listen to the Word of God and worship. And you don't realize you have a divine appointment. You have a divine appointment with the Holy God that wants your life to be different than what it is. If you're not saved, He wants you to come to know His Son, Jesus Christ, as your Lord and Savior, so that you have a relationship with Him. If you are saved, He wants you to look more like that Lord and Savior every day. You're not here just to check the hour off of your calendar for the week. You're here because of a divine appointment. God led you into this place he led me to preach this passage to your heart today. And the Holy Spirit's going to speak to your heart and make your life look different. Unless your heart is hardened. Unless your heart is hardened to Him, today you should leave those set of doors different than you came in. And see, Simeon had this appointment and it says that they came according to the custom of the law. Well, what are they talking about the custom of the law? See, there was this time, and I don't have time to get into it much this morning, but there was this law that this male child, after being born, after 40 days, you were to go and make this offering for the child. If it was a firstborn child, you were to make an offering to uh, to God that this child would be dedicated to, to him. So after this point of purification, this 40 years for the mother, uh, 40 years, 40 days for this mother to go through the purification process, they were to, to go and make a sacrifice. It wasn't always in the temple. It wasn't necessarily something that they went to the temple. It just so happened, coincidence I'm sure, that they were in the town where the temple was. Again, the leading of God and the Holy Spirit. And instead of just making the sacrifice in a simple manner, they decided to go to the temple to do it. They weren't able to afford the lamb. They actually went and offered doves and, and the penance for that. But it, that's beside the point. They showed up there to make this sacrifice according to the custom of the law. There's Simeon. Simeon's waiting for the arrival of the Lord's Christ. Mary and Joseph are showing up simply to make the customary offering to the temple for this firstborn child. Yet they meet. They meet in this place. And it says on this day that this Holy Spirit had orchestrated this, this whole scenario. And see, Simon, uh, Simeon was a man who believed God's promise. He was a man who believed God's promise. And how do we know that? Because it says in verse 29, or actually 27, we'll read from there. It says, so he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, says he took him up in his arms... And he blessed God. Can you see Simeon saying this is him? Now we don't know the conversation between 27 and 28. Luke doesn't tell us much. We have to realize there probably was one. Simeon may have gone every day looking for those that came after the 40 days of purification to offer their offering. And he would go to each one and 
wonder, is this the one? Is this the one? And I can imagine he would have conversations and say, where was this child born? Tell me about your child. And can you see Mary and Joseph? When asked by Simeon, who is this child? And they say, we have named him Jesus. To Simeon, it wasn't a name. It was a phrase. And do you know what that phrase was? He has come to save his people from their sins. Simeon knew that this baby that was being held by this mother before him was that Lord's Christ that he had been looking for. And he took him in his arms. Can you see? He's holding him in his arms. And we see verse 29 when he says this. This verse 29 in, in the Latin terminology, they call it nuc didymus, which is after the first two words. It's, it's one of several psalms that you see. There's Mary's Magnificent, there's Zacharias' psalm that's here in Luke. And you see this psalm of Simeon, this praise psalm of Simeon, this nuc didymus. And this begins in verse 29 with, Lord, now. Lord, now. You know what he's saying? God, I believed your promise that I would see this Lord's Christ, and now I have. And because your promise has been fulfilled, do as you said. He says, Lord, now. He says, I have seen the Christ. I know the promise. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your son depart in peace. What's he saying? He's saying your promise was I would not die before I saw the Lord's Christ. So I have seen the Lord's Christ. Now it is time for me to die. You know, we never hear anything from Simeon again and the rest of Scripture. Simeon saw this baby as Lord, as Christ. He knew the promise had been fulfilled that God had made to him. And he stood before a holy God and he started his praise and worship to that holy God by saying, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace. And how do I know it's the right timing, it's the right thing, he says, according to your word. See, we can believe in the birth of the Savior at Christmas because of the testimony of this promise. The testimony of the promise to Simeon. You see, we know that this testimony was true because of Simeon's response. But we also can believe in the testimony of the purpose of this baby, not just in the testimony of the promise about this baby. For you see, when he says there in, uh, in verse 29, Lord, now I can depart, I can go, it can be done according to your word, he also understood that all those prophecies that he had read about in Isaiah, Zacharias, and all those prophecies would be fulfilled in this little baby. He knew it was more than just that personal promise to him. He knew it was the promise to the nation of Israel. He knew it was the promise to the world. You see, because in verse 30 he says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon recognized this baby that he held in his arms as a Savior sent from God. But it wasn't that he was just sent from God. He was sent for God. I love the way he says it. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He didn't stand before God and say, my eyes have seen my salvation. 
He stood before God and said, Your plan that I read about from the scriptures of old is being fulfilled. Your plan, your Savior. The Savior you prophesied about is now here in my arms. He says that my eyes have seen the salvation. He goes on to say, which you have prepared before the faces of all people. This is where the story becomes a touch shocking for Mary and Joseph. See, Mary and Joseph believed that this child was sent from God and was of God and was God. But they were also Jewish. They believed that he came, and he came for one purpose, to be the Messiah of Israel. See, they were looking for a Messiah, not for a Messiah for the whole world. They were looking for a Messiah for the nation. They were looking for what they call a national Messiah, one to save this nation. Yet he says that this child which you have prepared before the faces of all people. See, Simeon spoke of the sovereignty of God. He says that you, God, have prepared him. That was a shocking statement in and of itself. But then he says this Israel that is awaiting the Messiah of Israel, they they awaited the Savior of this nation Israel. He says, that's fine. He says, yet Simeon spoke up and said, God has prepared, God has prepared the Messiah before all people. Does it bring a verse to mind when you hear that word, all people? It certainly must. It's one of the most used and favorite verses of us all in John 3.16. We very, very rarely ever attach the rest of that phrase, which is John 3.17, to it. But John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Simeon was announcing to Mary and Joseph that this baby of God that was God was not only just for the nation Israel, but it was for all the world. How do we know that? Because he goes on in verse thirty-one to say, or 32 to say this, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles. It was shocking that this baby came from God. It was born of a virgin, yes. She was shocked that she was even having a baby. She was shocked to find out this baby was from God and was God. And now she stands before this Simeon who's just in the vow before God. And he announces to her that this baby is for the Gentiles. We don't think much about that today because we are one. But the Jews and the Gentiles were not best of friends. The Jews knew they were chosen And they rubbed it in the faces of the rest. There's no other way to put it. And here Simeon stands before the mother of Jesus and says, This little baby will bring light, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. See, Jesus was was to be a light unto all the world. Back in Isaiah where I told you to stick your bulletin earlier, Isaiah chapter 9. I think about this particular passage, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. It says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterwards more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the Galilee of the Gentiles. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. And what did it say that land was? The Galilee of the Gentiles. It says this great light has shined. What Simeon is reaching back into the recesses of his mind and pulling out is that truth of God that he had learned from the prophecies. And he's saying, I'm holding in my arms this light, this light that will shine even unto the Gentiles. This light that will shine to the Gentiles. Fortunately, he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 32 and says, the glory of your people, Israel. In chapter 2 of Luke, he says, the glory of your people, Israel. You see, glory and light are, are synonymous in the word. God talks about his glory being this magnificent light that shines. And what he's saying here is Jesus was to fulfill the prophecy of the coming Messiah even for Israel. He was going to fulfill it for the Gentiles and be a light for them. And he was going to be that national and personal Messiah for Israel. He is the promised one for the people of promise. See, as Simeon was holding him in his arms, he said the Jews will be blessed and saved through this baby, and he is the promised one for us, the promised people. Again, in Isaiah, it's mentioned in chapter 45 about this coming nation's Messiah, chapter 45 of Israel, I mean of Isaiah. Chapter 45, verse 22 says, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return, that to me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall take an oath. How shall uh, He shall say, Surely in the Lord I have righteousness and strength. To him men shall come and all shall be ashamed who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the descendants of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. He says there in Isaiah again, Simeon recalling what he had learned, that this baby would be the light to the Gentiles, but he would also be the glory of Israel. It tells us in verse 33 of Luke 2 there that Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. See, to Mary and Joseph, this was shocking. It was shocking. They knew they had this special baby. They knew this baby was from God. They knew this baby was to be the Savior of the Jews. But now they have learned this baby was to be the Savior of the entire world. And see, we can believe in the birth of a Savior because of the testimony of promise. And we can believe in the birth of a Savior because of the testimony of His purpose that was revealed through Simeon. But we can also believe in the birth of a Savior because of the testimony of Simeon's prophecy to Mary. You see, if it wasn't hard enough on Mary to hear that this baby she thought was for the Jews was also for the Gentiles, Simeon's about to drop the bomb of all bombs on Mary. See, because in verse 34, Simeon says this, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. The fall and the rising of many. Mary in her heart knew that the Messiah would come to save the nation of Israel. What was this fall? Is Simeon saying that some of the nation that was God's would not believe in the Messiah? It's exactly what Simeon was saying. 
Simeon was making a prophecy to Mary. Notice Joseph was not included in it. Do you know why? Because after Jesus turned 12 and they found him in a temple, we never hear of Joseph again. We're to assume he doesn't live long enough to see this prophecy revealed. So this prophecy is made to Mary, spoken into her heart, that there would be this fall of the nation. See, Simeon was making this prophecy that there would be many, many of the house of Israel that would not believe in this Messiah. Do we see that today? Absolutely. Isaiah 8, 14 through 15, and we won't turn there for time, tells you this, that he will be a stumbling block, a rock of offense to Israel. Do we see that lived out today? Absolutely. They say that less than 11% of the Jewish population believes the Messiah has come. Less than 11% believe that the Messiah has come. You see, but he also said that he would be a rising up for the nation. If you remember from Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, where we were talking about the church, he says that this Christ would raise us up and seat us at the right hand of our Father. So it would be this rising up. He said it would also be a sign which would be spoken against. Boy, do we see that in our world today. This Jesus This name of Jesus has become so offensive that people say they literally get sick internally from hearing his name or reading the Ten Commandments. That it literally physically makes them sick. There's this offense, this sign of Jesus has become a separating factor. A separating factor between those who believe and those who don't. And it's escalating to the point that folks... Reject everything there is about Jesus and believe everything that is of the devil, it seems. And what Simeon was prophesying to her is that this would happen also in the nation of Israel. And we see that. We see that. But he makes the most important statement at the very end of verse 35. When he says, yes, a sword will pierce through your very soul, Mary. A sword will pierce your soul. Many have said it's because it was prophesying that Mary would grieve at the death of Jesus. And that is part you can only imagine what the, the, the grieving of a mother to see her son so brutally beaten and nailed upon a cross, hung naked and spit upon and ridiculed. You can only imagine the pain of a mother. And yes, there was physical pain, but it was more than that. For he said, the sword would pierce through your own soul. You see, Mary would have to make the transition from being the mother of Jesus to being saved by her son i love that song mary did you know that the face that you look into the face that you kiss that little baby is your savior somewhere in the process from the time he was born to the time that he died mary came to know him as her lord and savior we know through his first miracle she still didn't understand because she came to him and said please turn this water into wine to save this marriage feast and he looked at her and he didn't say mom leave me alone he looked at her and said woman He separated himself. He distanced himself from his mom. He was going to spend time with those who believed in him. And he's saying to her, these things will take place. Your very heart will be pierced. And you'll have to come to understand that even you, Mary, the carrier of God within your womb, still needs a Savior. You're no different than the rest. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, including Mary.
He said your soul would be pierced. He goes on to say that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. It's a scary statement to me. That he would say that the thoughts of hearts, many hearts, may be revealed. What is he saying? He's saying there in our heart is the true us. There hidden within us where we think no one can see is what we really believe. And what would this baby in a manger ultimately do? He would ultimately take that which you have hidden in your heart and reveal it. It would either reveal that you trusted in this baby that grew to be a man that died upon a cross, was buried and rose again. You either believed that this baby came to be your Savior or you believed he didn't. It will be revealed. There is nothing that is hidden from our God. And what he's saying is this Jesus would cut open your heart and my heart and look inside. I ask you this morning, does your heart need light? Is your heart this morning dark from the penalty of sin, from those things that you have chosen to do that place you in opposition to a holy God that loved you so much he sent his only begotten son to die upon a cross for your sins? You see, we can believe that there was a Savior that was born because of the testimony of this just and devout man about the promise, or the testimony of the promise. We can believe in the testimony of His purpose because He lays out beautifully for us why Jesus came. He came because you sinned. We can also believe in this birth of a Savior because of the prophecy made to Mary that one day this little baby in a manger would pierce the hearts of those that lived on this earth. How would He do it? By his hands and his feet being pierced. By his side being driven by a sword. By the brow of his head being pierced by a crown of thorns that was placed and shoved down upon his head. By his back and his body being so torn and beaten by a whip that the Bible says he was unrecognizable. How would he pierce your heart? By doing the one thing for you you couldn't do for yourself. That's dying for the forgiveness of your sins. See, this Christmas we celebrate a baby in a manger. But that baby didn't stay in a manger. That baby died on a cross for you. He was buried in a tomb and rose three days later that you might have peace, hope, and joy. This morning I ask you this. Do you believe in the birth of a Savior? Not of a baby Jesus. Not of a special baby sent from God to a special woman named Mary. Do you believe in the birth of a Savior? For to believe that Jesus is God laid in a manger makes you no different than the devil. For the devil too believes that he is the Son of God. But he will never trust him as his Savior. Will you be different? Will you this morning accept him as your Savior? Thank you for joining us here at Revealed Truth. I would like to personally invite you to visit with us at Morris Creek Baptist Church. We're located at 3107 Union Chapel Road in Curry, North Carolina. Our Sunday school starts at 10 o'clock on Sunday mornings and is followed at 11 o'clock with our Sunday morning worship service. We also have a time of prayer and Bible study on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you soon.